1: Ready to learn to be a mass marketing mastermind? Take some notes from the godfathers of mass distribution. You're about to get schooled on how to be inboxed. You've got, you've got, you've got, you've got mail. Our hosts will show you how to deliver on email marketing strategies without going postal. Welcome the hosts of Inbox, the click father of email, Kevin DiVincenzi, and the original Fab Fondi, Fab Fondi J, John Fondi. I'm going
2: to have you not follow me, because once I go live on the air, you're going to project right on
0: and hello everyone this is the inbox radio program for may 12 2010 i'm your producer brasco here with you and uh at the moment we're trying to go and reconnect with john Fondi, who i believe is back on with us john
3: as a matter of fact, I am back on. Thanks for uh, covering for me in this, of course, ire of uh, radio transmitting and productivity. We sometimes have a little error. Of course, it would happen right in the middle of the intro, but I am the, bagpa- the Big Fat Blue. I'm John Pondy. Welcome to this edition of Inbox Radio. We had a great show last week. It was our Think of the Mile show, and I think we had a lot of a lot of good time with that particular show, talking about things, and got into immigration, got into some different types of uh, talks about the law, as well as uh, I had an open of tequila on my desk so here in the studio so it was a great show and and uh, so I appreciate everybody that listened in to on that uh, we got a great show planned for you here today if you just joined us for the first time you can go to inboxradio.com radio.com that's i-n-b-o-x-e-d radio.com we've got a chat room there and you can jump into that chat room you can ask questions we'll answer those questions live from the many talented guests and hosts that we have on our show or uh, if you're listening to us on webmasterradio.fm there's all also, a chat room Nebraska will kind of handle. He'll take your questions and funnel those questions through us either through our uh, Skype connection or through our IM, and we'll get those questions asked. And if we do um, take your question live on the air and get it asked, we'll send you brand-new collector's edition of the Inbox Radio Hat, and it uh, seemed like those uh, those Inbox Radio Hats were a big hit at, at, the, uh, at the last uh, ad tech that we went to, Brasco. We were in the press room, that's where we did the show. from. seems like we, we lost our internet connection there, too, but uh, those uh, everybody was clamoring for those Inbox Radio Hats.
0: How you been, Brasco? Been good. Just been daydreaming of yeah. uh, getting away from the office for a little bit as, you know, thoughts of vacation are coming up right now.
3: Oh Yeah, that's true. We're kind of getting into the summer months. And speaking of yep. which, as we get into the summer months, we'll continue to do the inbox radio show. As I would mentioned, we got a great show uh, planned for you here today. Uh, I know that Kevin is uh, down in uh, Los Angeles, California, doing some work, so he'll be with us. Uh, no, I'm here, Don I'm here
2: in beautiful, sunny uh, Santa Monica, Await- awaiting a yeah. uh, car service to my next location. I'm here.
3: We're talking about the quick nice father. It's Kevin DeVincentz. Hey, Kevin, did you have that? Uh, yeah, I bet that view that you had is even better than Bennett Kelly's view as well.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Actually, we're going back there today as well. We went to uh, uh, the uh, Engaged Better offices uh, yesterday afternoon for a very quick twenty-minute uh, meeting, and uh, you know, four hours later, the cab driver had uh, 185 one hundred eighty-five dollar waiting fee, and uh, <laughs> we plan to come back today. So yeah, no, having a. Great time out here. We came out uh, with a couple of our media buyers last minute, uh, meet with some of our partners like uh, MySpace, MyAds, and, uh, you know, coming up with some great ideas. And, um, you know, the, the the trip keeps continuing. Uh, so uh, all good stuff, though, John, and beautiful weather. And I hear in Vegas you're not getting the uh, the same fortunate weather.
3: Yeah, it's been a little bit windy. Here we go through this. You know, you've got, uh, you know, high high pressure coming in, which then creates uh, kind of an uplifting uh, windfall over the mountain area here, which brings uh, kind of an east-west swirling wind in here, and that's your weather report here from Las Vegas this morning. <laughs> but, uh Anyway, we had a great show. Um, We've got Mark Salini. He's going to be with us. He is uh, going to be talking to us about an absolutely phenomenal virtual product called On24. Things are definitely changing. You're not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) And uh, Lars uh, Johansson, who's really one of my favorite writers from Website Magazine, he's going to talk about the numbers. That's the title of our show, The Numbers Don't Lie. He's going to talk about evaluating your editorial impact using Google Analytics, uh, a lot of good information information from website magazine it was on our show when we were also back um, at AdTech. tech uh, we had uh, Dante Monteverdi he was on with us talking a little bit more about SEO and stuff so a nice contributor to the show uh, as well but uh, hey Kevin I want to talk a little bit more as we get into the show about, uh, about an event that you've got coming up back in Chicago in June and of course I'm talking about the A1 the Avon Walk for the Cure how's your training going for that
2: it's actually going really well, John, as you know, in Vegas. I've been uh, putting on 10-mile walks right now just to get uh, prepared for it. Um, and also out here in uh, California, we've been walking everywhere we could. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, definitely beautiful and scenic and uh, anywhere, you know, it's like, ah. I mean, even yesterday we had a meeting 25 blocks away, and we're like, you know what, we'll just walk. So um, we're definitely, sure. definitely getting there. I'm going to now uh, go into the last phase of the training in regards to doing, you know, extensive cardio every day. Um, you know, not the... Eating all good foods. Matter of fact, we just had lunch at a great uh, little vegan restaurant here in Santa Monica. Um, And, uh, you know, hopefully drop a few more pounds and get myself, uh, you know, fight ready for the walk.
3: Well, excellent. Joining us right now is the director of product marketing for On Twenty Four. This gentleman is responsible for the product direction and the strategy. He's about has over twenty years' experience working with leading technology firms in product development and marketing roles. He also has extensive experience in web development, e commerce, and collaboration technologies. He's uh, been in and around the industry for some time with Netscape, Cisco, Lotus, and Skytel, and he holds a Bachelor of Engineering degree from Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, and I'd like to welcome to the show Mark Zellini. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us.
4: And Thanks for having me.
3: Hey, not a problem at all hey I talked before about the fact we're not in Kansas anymore the way we do business certainly has changed and uh, you know there are some uh, uh, a lot of kind of go-to-meeting type things that are out there in the industry but you've really taken it and kind of injected you know some uh, some legal steroids and uh, and now on 24 has um, has really come up with with some great opportunities for some virtual events um, talk about what it is that you do first of all what on 24 does and then we'll talk a little bit about how the industry, how they're uh, kind of cozying up to you and how they're using your product as well.
4: Yeah, that's, uh, um, so as you, as you sort of talk about um, a lot of the virtual meeting products, what, what ON24 does that I think is a little different is uh, we focus on larger events. And you know, events are a little different than meetings. They're usually sort of one to many kinds of communications and you can think of this as the online equivalent of a, of a real trade show or a real conference that you would go and attend.
3: Now, would you, would you, could you, or would you ever have uh, a virtual show in conjunction with an actual live show?
4: Um, yeah, in fact, uh, we see customers doing um, some things that are replacements for their live events, and um, they're also doing things that are sort of what we think of as hybrid events, so maybe adding a virtual component to something live. Um, Maybe even connecting the two in some way by, you know, using social networking or perhaps, uh, you know, live video from from the live event that's now part of the virtual event.
3: And as it's part of it, it adds the uniqueness to it, but I would think that uh, you know, with, with companies getting larger and uh, travel getting more expensive and uh, of course then you've got the whole security issue and things of that nature, uh, it really seems to me like we're going to see a lot of people are not only going to feel as comfortable, but it's going to be in many cases more economical for them to attend a virtual show and I would assume also to put on a virtual show.
4: You're right, John. Um, you know, there, the, the benefits here obviously are around cost savings, um, you know, travel and all of the logistics expenses that go along with real events make up about 90 percent of the costs of throwing those events. So when your attendees and your presenters and all of those people don't really need to travel to a physical location, there's tremendous soft, uh, cost savings opportunity. But, you know, it goes beyond that because The other thing that is true about using a virtual event platform is that you get great data out of it. So as a marketer, um, the ability to track all of the demographic fields and also understand how these attendees are are behaving in the event and what content they're interested in and all that is a huge benefit. You don't have to run around and swipe badges and uh, collect business cards, right?
3: Sure. Uh, on the line with this is our co-host, the Father, Kevin D. Vincenzi. And Kevin, you're no stranger to uh, to attending these live events. It it takes a lot to to put one of these things together, and it's and it's extremely expensive. Would you ever uh, consider attending a virtual show?
2: Yeah, we actually, John. I don't, I don't know if you remember, we actually got involved early on. And sorry for all the traffic in the background, guys. Um, early on, with like Econ Expo and some different. Uh, different events as well. So I think they're great. It's a great way to be able to attend without attending. Um, I mean, literally, especially they're 24 hours a day, at least the ones that I, I've been a part of. Um, and you're able to have different staff on, do a very nice presentation. As a matter of fact, John, remember the commercial you did for by 7 Elite was for our Ecom Expo booth.
3: Oh, is that why we don't? Oh, that's right. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, show. So Yeah, roll. no, I
2: think they're great, and it's a great way to organize uh, your leads and be able to uh, present your company in a great, Great fashion, and also, I'll tell you, I visited more companies virtually myself than I have not go to a trade show, because at a trade show, I never have time to actually go and visit, visit the other people that we may have a synergy with to work with, um, and this way we are, so it, it works out really, really well for us.
3: Uh, on the line with us is Bennett Kelly from the Internet Law Center. Uh, Bennett, I think uh, you know, from the standpoint of our industry, you know, could could you see things coming, you know, from the legal standpoint being done in inside of a virtual show or inside of a virtual webcast?
5: Well, I, in terms of how do you mean the from the legal aspect, whether it's legal, I mean, or do you see lawyers using it or?
3: Yeah, could a, could an attorney use something like this to gather depositions and things of that nature?
5: Well, it already happens. Um, you know, there are there have been video depositions. I've participated in some video and telephonic depositions. Um, yeah, you know, there's a definite disadvantage to doing something like that when you, you don't have you, you're not present in the same room with a witness and you're not able to assert your will as much. And then, frankly, you don't know what's going on. At, 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 in the area that you can't see, um, you know, they could be holding up cue cards for all you know. But, you know, it has been used a lot. A lot of, um, you know, law firms have gone nationwide and worldwide and they communicate uh, on, you know, legal matters um, by video conference and from all the various offices. So, um, law firms are one of the early adapters of the technology, you know, which is surprising because of you know, they usually um, thrive a lights when it comes to technology. Sure.
3: Hey, Mark. Uh, on twenty-four, uh, you know, it, it all comes down to the bottom line, and uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the success of some of the events that you've achieved, and, and how could you how can you equate that to an ROI in this industry?
4: Um. Sure. Well, the the first thing that you know when I'm talking to customers about planning their events is that um, when we try to get their goals established first. Many times, it's about generating leads. Uh, But there's also, you know, events that are that are designed to help build brand. Um, There are other events uh, that are more about educating people and and doing training. And and then there are events that focus on community building. So, you know, once you figure out what your goal is there, then, yeah, you can go and calculate ROI off that. And in the case of generating leads, the marketing application, you know, what, what we use some stats, you know, we see that, that the number of leads that you get out of these events because of the better data collection and the better um, ability to qualify is, is sort of four to five times greater than physical events. Um, and we have seen an industry benchmark of, you know, $25, $30 a lead given the cost savings associated with the event. So, you know, we, that, that's really where the ROI comes from here. It's, it's not that hard to, uh, uh, you know, to make a strong case. <sighs>
3: And the thing that I've seen, and, and Kevin, you can probably uh, back me up on this, too. In many cases, people are not good uh, minders of those leads they get at your regular shows. We'll collect business cards, and they'll either sit in a drawer or... Um,
2: oh, yeah, jo- John, I've been part of, of so many times that we've even uh, you know thrown parties with people, and they've lost the bowls of business cards, or um, they're not taking proper notes. So, I mean, at least in a virtual trade show... Um, a lot of times, you're able to notate everything, and because and, you're at your desk, so you're able to, to take things uh, a lot more seriously and act on opportunities. Whereas at a trade show, you know, you, you go, you scribble something, you think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. Oh, I'll remember, I, I'll remember that guy. Then you get back and go, wow, what, you know, what was I talking about that guy about? So I think it's, uh, it's definitely a much better way to uh, do business. Plus, you can also uh, put them right into your CRM program automatically. So I mean, it's great. You can literally, you know, act upon your information. Right. So it's we exactly would do right. business our, our then with
3: Market On24, uh, assuming uh, that Rachel doesn't work there. <laughs> I'm,
4: sorry, I'm sorry, John, so, I might have been talking over you right
3: there. So, <laughs> hey, Mark, um, some of the advantages of that in that data mining um, is that you're able to get real-time information as to who's uh, who's attending that, and you're able to interact uh, back and forth with that client that's, that's let's say, stepped into your booth.
4: Well, you know, there's a couple of cool things that go on in a virtual trade show because in it, like in any trade show, you have virtual booths and then you have virtual booth staff members, which are, you know, maybe the sales or lead generation people in your, in your company. And those people are still back at their desks as well. And so able to, to lead their day, you know, and do other activities, but they can stay engaged. They can initiate discussions with people that come into the booth. They can actually take that whole conversation outside of the event, and you know, continue to do demos and that. So, um, yeah, there's 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 a lot of benefits there.
3: Well, good. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a short break here. When we come back, if you could hang with us a couple of final questions that we'll let the gang uh, ask of you, Mark, and uh, then we'll kind of kind of get you on your way. So uh, you'll stick around for a little bit. I'm the Big Fabu. I'm John Fonda. You're listening to the Inbox Radio Show. You've got me live uh, inside the green room here in our studio. we got the Click Father, Kevin D. Vincenzi, who's uh, jet-setting down in Santa Monica, taking care of his business. So for all of us, to all of you, we're going to trip back over to Nebraska. We'll be right Back right after a couple of short
1: and very brief
3: messages. Stick around, won't you?
1: Time to flood some more inboxes. Inbox will return after this.
0: XY7 is affiliate mark. Are you an affiliate? If yes, you'll pay me. No if, as or maybe. Get paid daily, make a mad dash, sign up as a flash. Quickly convert the click into cash. Marketing network is first place. I cut to the chase, it's all performance based. Listen to what I'm telling you, because this what you better do join as a publisher and maximize your revenue. Think we agreed that money is what you need. Indeed, you can get paid from sales and leads. Not one thing lacking, don't get it cracking. We become a quick state of the art tracking. Ready the start, you can do. Anyway, I ask. That's right, ma'am. Anyway, you ask. Let me get this straight. If I wanted your CEO to deliver my check while juggling flaming machetes on the back of an Asian elephant, all I have to do is ask? Correct. With in-demand affiliates, you can tell us exactly how you want your payouts, and we will deliver. God, could you hold on for a second? Someone's at the door. Wow. You are not kidding. We are in demand. You can be, too. Sign up today at the letter N,
2: demandaffiliates.com. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect.
1: State of Search,
0: Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the International Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm.
1: You're back with the Godfathers of Mass Distribution on Inbox, only on webmasterradio.fm.
3: And welcome back. This is the Big Fabu. I'm John Fondi. You're into the second uh, segment of Inbox Radio. This, of course, our May 12th show, uh, coming right out of our single denial show that we had last week. And I can tell everybody right now I do not have the bottle of tequila in the studio this time. It was for effect only. And we had a, we had a great, a great show. On the line with us right now um, is Mark Zellini. And, um, and also coming up here in just a moment is Lars Johansson. So we're going to talk to him a little bit. Uh, guys, any last minute questions? For uh, that we have for Mark of uh, On25 about virtual shows, webcasting, and or virtual environments.
2: Well, John, I had a question. On the virtual shows, is there any website that we can go to to actually look at the, uh, I don't want to say a mock show, but to see what, what the interface and everything looks like?
4: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Please please oh, come yeah. to uh, our website at On24, which is www.on24.com and uh, there is a demonstration of one of our virtual shows uh, right there off our homepage. Oh, great. Any,
3: uh, we'll, go, we'll go ahead and give the last word to you,
4: Mark. Um, sure. Well, I, you know, John, I just uh, I want to offer a couple of parting tips here on uh, companies that are going to try to um, plan virtual events. I, I think that, that thinking of these things in the same sort of uh Planning cycle as you would any other live event is is a good practice. Um, some people come into this thinking that you know they can just throw one of these together real quick but but really it's just like planning other any other event. so it comes down to good targeting you know good targeting of the content and good targeting of your audience and then because these users are you know easily distracted, they can click somewhere else and you sort of leave the event um, it, it's important to really think about how you're going to engage them and whether you're going to have, uh, you know, prizes and games and, you know, a great theme and, and some pretty good media so that people stay involved in the event. Because that's ultimately what's going to make it successful for, uh, for the customer. So,
3: Great. So if someone wants to plan an event then they would just get in touch with you and you'd walk them through that process and discuss any of the fees that would be associated with it and get them underway.
4: Exactly. Yeah, we, we you know, we sell that platform and we provide all of those event management services as well and through partners
3: great i want to thank kimberly gangler for and also christopher Proudy for setting up this interview for us again we've been uh, uh talking with marcelini and he's with on 24 mark thanks for joining us
4: thank you john great to be here
3: Hey, look forward to having you back again. Um, as as you guys know, I'm a, I, I'm a big researcher. I'll I'll do research in the industry for anywhere between uh, between an hour and three hours a day. I'll be doing research, and of course, I go to a lot of the publications. and uh, And uh, one of the things that we we talked in part over the past couple of weeks about. Um, about, uh, you know, data, mining that data, using that data in terms of reporting statistics and things of that nature to find out what's working. And, um, you know, in this field when we've got so many people that are doing things hands-on and, and uh, we've got old people out there that, that, that you know, that are new to the industry, you know, they, they create content and they just sort of leave it there and they, they let it go. but. Uh, here at Inboxed Radio. We're, we're a big advocate uh, of doing testing and using the results of that testing. So excited to have a gentleman who is a contributing writer for Website Magazine here in the May issue that is currently out now. He wrote an article called Evaluate Editorial Impact using Google Analytics. And we're talking, of course, with Lars Johansson. Lars, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today.
6: Thank you for having me.
3: You know, it's when you sit down and, uh, and you write an article, does the, the does the magazine tell you what website. they want you to write about, or do you have suggestions on what you want to put in the content?
6: I do have suggestions, and we sort of discuss it back and forth a little bit to see that it fits for the audience.
3: We'll talk but a little bit about the effectiveness yeah. that of the information that you that you receive using using uh, different forms of web analytics. Mm-hmm. And why why is that
6: important? The importance is that web analytics really allows you to uh, listen to the visitor and what the visitor wants to do on your website rather than relying on your gut feeling or what whoever screens loud as the company thinks you should be doing. That's really one of the few ways that you have have to uh, adjust your site uh, depending on the visitor needs. And if a visitor is satisfied, we find that he or she is more likely to convert and do whatever you actually want them to do which will, in turn, um, bring you revenue.
3: Well, Kevin, I think using analytics is always good because once you can find out and drill down on what uh, what that consumer is looking for as a marketer, that makes you a more effective marketer. Would that be safe to say?
2: Oh, John, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we're doing out here with our, uh, our partners Media Buying Alliance is talking about testing, looking at what's working, what's working looking at a live and buy. As a matter of fact, we're driving right now, or taking a cab right now, to, uh, to an office to do some live advice where that's exactly what we will be doing is a bunch of multivariable testing. We'll be loading up two to three hundred creators at a time of a certain uh, vertical and then actually looking at the results in real time and tweaking them
3: down to find the right test. <coughs> Lars, uh, in your article, I don't want to give away all the article, but you but you talk about six, uh, six measurements to maximize the impact. Go through a couple of those so we can kind of wet the whistle of some of our listeners right now as to what they'll find when they read that article.
6: Sure. Uh, the angle of that partic- partic- uh, part- uh, that article is actually a little different than usual. Usually I look at the more straightforward things, like if you're generating leads or if you um, really want to, visit to, to uh, view a lot of content because you're selling ad space or if you want to sell online. The angle of this article is somewhat different. I'm looking at websites that are rich in content but don't really sell anything to you. And I'm making the point that you can actually read and improve on on those websites, even though uh, the objectives may seem a little less clear. Uh, So a couple of the measurements I'm uh, writing about in the article um, is one is writer impact. One specific writer, the articles that that writer has written of the visitors who read it, are they more likely to reach certain goals are they more likely to stay around longer? Are they more likely to read more articles? So instead of just looking at the volume a uh, writer is putting out, you rather look at what is that writer's contribution to the web as a whole.
3: Well, so you, uh, you make a point in the article quantity. about. Um About time spent writing versus time spent reading. I guess it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if it takes your writer, you know you know much, much longer to write the article and nobody even cares whether they want to look at it or read it.
6: Yeah, that particular measurement is I think especially interesting for intranets where you have fewer readers. Um, but it's potentially really bad if you're doing on a public website and you spend more time writing than people are reading.
3: Well, we've got Bennett Kelly with us from the Internet Law Center, and Bennett, we're going to talk a little bit later on about some privacy issues and things of that nature. Anything that you see in these, uh, in these tools or these analytics that would uh, maybe violate some of those privacy issues?
5: No, no, not at all. I think they're useful. In fact, I'm um, <laughs> I'm actually working on a brief where I'm using some of the analytic tools to discuss the the relative market position of different sites, and um, it's a case involving um, certain infringement of a, of a site. And so, yeah, I think they're useful tools, and I think the more people become familiar with it, um, the better the better I think the web will be because people will try to improve their sites once they they see what the analytics are
3: speaking of privacy Bennett did you just say you're wearing briefs
5: matter of fact I am but um <laughs> no but actually I was working on a brief I'm um, gonna have a, um, a a motion um, in California it's called a slap motion when someone files a lawsuit against someone to um surely as a vindictiveness to punish someone for doing something they had a constitutional right to do you can file a motion and get it dismissed and um and get recover sanctions. So that's what I was working on.
3: Okay, great. Hey, uh, Lars, uh, let's go ahead and continue now um, with uh, with you know what uh, some suggestions for not only uh, the people that have been in the business for a long time, but suggestions for people that might be newer to the industry, um, how they could get started using the using analytics from Google or 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 a company similar to Google.
6: Sure, I think everyone should start to look at what are the uh, goals of the website. Or even bigger than that, actually, start to look at your organization. What is it that you want to achieve and how does it apply to the web? And once you figure that out, how can you measure whether or not your web is contributing towards your goals? So you need to start to look at really finding a few key performance indicators that you need to track over time. The ones that will tell you if you are succeeding or not and once one of those KPIs is underperforming, that's when you need to go in and take a deeper look at it. You need to segment your data and look at specific behavior from, for instance, how does it differ if a visitor is coming from organic traffic on Google or how does it differ if a visitor is new versus repeat visitors, et cetera.
3: Are there any fees that uh, that you would have to pay or can you get uh, more robust analytics if you do pay some
6: fees? You can certainly get, uh, you have a lot of choice when it comes to web analytics tools these days. The question is what you really mean by robust. We found that lately in the last six or so months that even large corporations are even including Google Analytics when they they look at which tool to select. So many find Google Analytics to be sufficient these days. But uh, if you need to look at, for instance, real-time data, you have other options as well out there. But I would say anyone who's new to to web analytics, they could try using Google Analytics to begin with, and sort of grow with it. And if they find that it's not enough, then it's uh, then it's time to look for other alternatives.
3: Now, are the analytics, the web analytics out there, can anybody go and pull down these analytics on anybody else, or is that somewhat private, uh, you know, privatory uh, to to the owner of that website?
6: Yeah, each uh, website owner typically really protects their data, and with all uh, the big and the known serious uh, web links tools, that data is protected from anyone but the website owners to view. But there and are services like Google and Sprint, you are not even uh, allowed to uh, data. store personal event and information in it. So even if you would, even if you would somehow break into it, which is you would say very difficult. If you, even if you managed to, you wouldn't find anything that you'd be able to trace back to an individual.
3: Hey, Bennett, you were you were guys were talking at the same time. Go ahead and repeat well, that's, the that's statement you just made again.
5: Well, there are certain you know certain third-party um, sources such as Compete.com and Alexa.com that are free, and there are also other sources you can pay for, I believe, but that do provide some you know tools on traffic and um, you know what site term what search terms are driving traffic to those sites and um, I wanna well, when we thought about those services and how they actually compare to the actual data users are getting when they use Google Analytics.
3: Hey you were garbled a little bit I didn't I heard Alexa but I didn't understand the first one you mentioned.
5: Oh compete compete.com. Okay, great. Check compete.com okay,
3: uh he said compete C O M P
6: E
2: T. Yeah, you know, actually, actually mentioned that. I heard uh, somebody and I can't say who but I can say somebody at a very high level of a company yesterday recommended we don't use compete dot com because the data is a little bit older. That it it's not it's not refreshed in a manner in which um what would give you give you the right indicators. i just I'm passing that along, you know.
5: Well, that, that's actually that, that goes both ways, Kevin. So one, it's true that it says it's not current, but it does it seem right. to suggest that it, it was accurate at one point. Is what he was saying.
6: Hmm, okay,
2: got it.
5: Okay,
3: Lars, uh, go ahead. Uh, we probably got about another five minutes with you there. Go ahead and uh, and, uh, and tell our listeners some things that they should they should definitely know about uh, about web analytics.
6: Sure uh, I think what, one of the most important things to realize that it's not a one hit wonder. You need to uh, continuously work with it so you find the small well sometimes the bigger improvements but also the smaller improvements that you can make over time um, really the the idea of web analytics is to find weak spots and once you've found the weak spots you need to uh, you need to build a hip- hypothesis of what you could actually make in terms of a change that could lead to uh lead to a significant improvement. And once you have that hypothesis, you need to create a few different variations and test them using A-B tests or multivariate testing. But the thing is then that once you've done that and, you're, and you have a result and you have a winner, it's important that you're not too satisfied at that moment because there's always potentially an even better variation that you could be using as a challenger or there's something else that needs to be fixed. You're never really finished. So I think the most important thing to keep in mind is that uh, Web Analytics is about continuous improvement. It's not about doing an analysis, say, once a year or something like that.
3: Well, I come from uh, more of a traditional background, uh, typically uh, using, uh, in the infomercial world, and, and we would use the same type of a test, if you will. We would take uh, different regions, and we would test products, place products in different, re- in different regions, um, and that would then basically tell us when we, uh, you know, and let's say for instance we did twenty thousand dollar test for, for four different reason, regions, it lets us know that in some cases a particular type of ad uh, may may or may not work in a particular region, or, th- or there may be people that aren't even interested in that. And um, I think if you're going to put effort out there, um, and you want to see the return on that effort, uh, that also allow- these analytics also kind of allow you uh, to learn things before you actually roll out other forms of advertising as well so this just uh, just wouldn't necessarily just apply to information that you would get for the website but you could take that information and use that in other applications talk about some other applications you could use that information in, if you could lars
6: sure i think it i think it's important like you mentioned to uh not view the web as an isolated channel if you um if you're selling something offline, you should definitely look at how, how the interest is judging from your online visitors for your region. Where are they coming from? What kind, of, what kind of products are you looking for? Not only can you find out what products you should be selling online, you could find out what products you should be selling in actual physical stores as well.
3: And I think uh, Kevin DiVincenzi, the click father, Kevin, he brings up an interesting point that uh, that uh, you really could be a great resource for uh, for an offline advertiser as well, just because of the, the testing that you've done. Uh, just the value of that, that testing is sometimes uh, as valuable as the action that you perform.
2: Well, I think the biggest thing, John, is that you're able to get your, your results almost instantaneously. Whereas uh, offline, you've got to take so long to be able to test the theory, uh, send it out, get your results, evaluate your results. I mean, everything is done in a live environment online. So it's uh, it's definitely a uh, you know a, a much better and uh, and uh, you know environment where you can you can react much easier on your information.
3: Sure, and what I kind of meant by that was uh, a lot of times uh, you'll, uh, like you say, you're just you're getting ready to uh, test uh, over 200 creatives. Well, the information that you're going to get back from that would be very effective if someone is going to use an online campaign. For instance, you know, uh, you know, girls, girl, uh, you know, girl model in Wyoming worked much better than than the male model in Wyoming, or or something like something along those lines. And I was saying that that's you could save companies.
2: Yeah, you can definitely identify trends to at, at least general trends, and then move towards that that, uh, that that way.
3: Kevin, I think I cut you off. I think I was talking while you were making your statement. Oh, Could you I'm make sorry. that statement no, again? No, I
2: was just saying that you're you're able to pick up different uh, different hints as well of uh, where you should you know what demographic you should be marketing to, or what part of the country is is doing best for certain types of uh, ads or what have you.
4: Sure.
3: Anyway, well, it uh, kind of sounds like you need to tell your cab driver to drive a little bit faster. You were, you were breaking up just a little bit, but that's quite all right because we're going to take time uh, to take a break right now. We've been talking with Lars Johansson, and he is a contributing writer for Website Magazine. Uh, you might go to WebsiteMagazine.com, and uh, if you haven't subscribed or got your copy, if you want to do that, Lars uh, really loved and enjoyed the article. It was written very, very concisely, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Lars, are you going to be speaking on any panels coming up in the near future?
6: I am doing a number of seminars, or I'm planning a number of seminars I will be doing. Um, The best thing is to keep an eye out on my website at uh, webanalysts.info where I will announce all um, presentations.
3: Excellent. Very good. Lars Johansson. Um, talking to him about uh, using web analytics. Uh, we're going to take a short break right now, toss it back to Brasco in the studio for the Big Faboo. I am John Fondi, Kevin Vincenzi, the click father who is traveling, but he's definitely all the way live. We'll be right back right after a couple of short commercials. And uh, we've got uh, more with Bennett Kelly. We're going to talk about privacy and we're also going to talk a little bit about, uh, well, the big sin. We'll be right back right after... These very short
1: messages. Time to flood some more inboxes. inbox will return after this.
3: Do you consider yourself a super affiliate? Then listen up. One of the most trusted names in affiliate marketing since 2003, xy7.com, has now launched xy7elite.com, a private invitation-only affiliate program run by super affiliates, for super Affiliates. Enjoy private tested offers, weekly deposits right to your bank account or XY7 debit card, XY7 VIP concierge service, limousine transportation to and from major industry events, and the status of being one of the elite publishers. XY7 Elite is not for everyone, as you need to be accepted and maintain volume requirements. Think you've got what it takes to be elite? Go to www.xy7elite.com or call
2: 702
3: 216 702
1: Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. afcon 2010com my.AFCON2010.com,
0: your social media source for AFCON2010, The Trade Show, where affiliates always attend for free. Sign up today at my.AFCON2010.com. Check out photos and videos from our past events, plus check out our blog and discussion forums. Start socializing today and tell your friends to sign up now at my.AFCON2010.com. Sign up today at
1: myafcon 2010.com. You're back with the Godfathers of mass distribution on inbox only on webmasterradio.fm.
3: All right, the big Fabu John Fondi, back with inboxradio.com. If you just joined us, a quick reminder that you can go to inboxedradio.com. That's I-N-B-O-X-E-D-Radio.com. That's inboxradio.com. And uh, you can go into our chat room and uh, leave us a message, and we'll pick that message up. That's being monitored by Anthony Alves in our studio. And uh, also, you can go to, if you happen to be listening to us on Webmaster Radio Direct, you can go into the Webmaster Radio uh, chat room, and you can uh, leave us a message. Brasco will monitor that and get that to us as well so that uh, we can take that question, get that question question, uh, uploaded and or get it answered on the air as well. Well, this is Bennett Kelly. Bennett uh, publishes the Cyber Report, and we've got uh, we've got a link to that Cyber Report on the Inbox Radio site. And uh, and this happens to be monthly information, Bennett, that you put out uh, from information that you've gathered yourself uh, from the Internet Law Center. But we're talking about um, uh, the privacy debate has gotten a little little hotter, um, and um, there are some some subcommittee chairmen that have jumped in and have drafted some privacy legislation. Tell us a little bit about what that privacy legislation is and if it's something that, that the industry needs at this time.
5: Well, um, the privacy legislation has been introduced. Basically, the um, chairman of the House Internet Subcommittee, um, a guy named um, Congressman Stearns from – excuse me, not Stearns, that's the, the other co-sponsor, Congressman Boucher, Rick Boucher from Virginia – Um, has circulated a discussion draft after telling us for basically 12 months that he was working on a draft. And so it's a discussion draft where he's seeking comments. And um, basically the framework of his bill is um, disclosure. You have to disclose up front your practices. Um, And then you have to allow um, certain ability to opt out for some information. Um, But more importantly, you have to allow opt in for other things such as sharing um, personal information to unaffiliated parties other than an ad network um, and so you know that, that's a major change and so some people in the industry are having a hard time with it um, whereas others think it's a good step and also uh, going on in Washington you have the Federal Trade Commission trying to get their arms around all the information they collected from their three roundtables and then the Department of Commerce, um, which also has some jurisdiction over Internet privacy, is also starting to weigh in and start to look at the issue. So you, you may have a push for you know, some dialogue and discussion about where we need to be in privacy, but you're just given looking at the calendar and the fact that it's election year, um, I wouldn't expect anything to happen this year from Congress, but it could be possible that the FTC might issue a rule um, on the issue by the end of the year. <laughs>
3: There are fifteen. Uh, there are fifteen items that uh, have been put forth in that particular bill. Was this out of uh, demand from the consumer, demand from the the retailer? Uh, what, what was the? Why was the need for this particular language?
5: Um, what was driving this is really um, a belief that you know, consumers do don't know what's going on. They're not being informed of what's being shared, and that a. Um, There needs to be some vehicle to inform them what what it is. At the same time, so, for example, they want you to disclose who you are, um, what information you're collecting, how you're collecting it, um, what what do you do with it, how long do you retain it, um, what are their choices, um, things of that nature. But it's interesting because it comes at a time when the FTC themselves are conceded that people don't read these policies. Um, I think as the... uh, you know, the example in the U.K. on April Fool showed um, where um, there was a, a terms and conditions that included a provision that you were, um, if you purchase it, you were granting us the option to purchase or sold. Um, and so there's a question about how effective this is, but they're, um, you know, the idea is they want it to be clear and conspicuous, and um, they want consumers to have an option that sometimes they have and sometimes they don't currently. You know, the industry has slowly been trying to respond to give consumers more access to the data that they collect and to give them, the, you know, for example, the opportunity to opt out of being of um, behavioral targeting, for example.
3: Kevin, behavioral targeting is something that, uh, that seems like it's, it's, it's kind of come in and has been attacked rather quickly. Uh, do you think we're going to see more or less uh, with, this, with the new privacy laws for, uh, coming into play?
2: You know, John, I think we'll see more, but we'll see smarter targeted uh, marketing. And, I mean, that, that's the bottom line. If you're getting things that are that you're interested in, and you'll see them not just on the Internet. You'll see them through SMS technologies. Um, you know, people will pass by a gas store, and they'll know that John finally likes to buy, you know, polo shirts, and you'll get a special on polo shirts, including a, a uh, coupon. Um, so you'll see a lot more targeted uh, targeted things is what you're going to see. So I think than and it's think more, Kevin,
5: less. Kevin mentioned online and offline. Because the voucher bill actually does address both online and offline, and you know I think that's one thing that it should be commended for. Because you know for some reason we always seem to focus on online privacy when you know a lot of the data breaches occur in the offline world.
3: Right. How is this affecting uh, big companies with big wallets such as Google and Facebook?
5: Well, obviously Facebook and Google right now are in the hot seat. Um, You know, Google had their launch of Buzz where they decided to launch first and then um, figure things out second. And um, they recently just got a letter from the um, privacy directors of 10 different countries expressing their displeasure, Um, and the FCC is looking into the matter. Um, Facebook had their, you know, kind of unilateral privacy change and then their security breach in which people could get access um, to personal information uh, on, on people's page for a day or two last week. And it's, it gets got to the point that um, Facebook's former privacy director, a guy named Chris Kelly, um, who's actually running for attorney general in California, um, you know, actually had to um, con- condemn his former employer um, for some of their actions on privacy and believes that they need to be uh, a little more sensitive on the issue, a point that Capitol Hill has been quick to communicate to them as well. So, um, you know, those two have become the poster child on the issue, and, and they're definitely a um, They've been taking a beating in the press, um, so we'll have to see where, where this will fall out. But you know, Facebook also is being looked at by the FTC, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, by the end of the summer, there's some consent decree for both Google and the, um, Facebook. The, you
3: also write in your blog, you talk a little bit about uh, uh, Visa's regulation of its post-transaction offers. Um, are they doing this so that they can maybe avoid some legislation?
5: Well, it's interesting. I I think uh, they they wanted to avoid some of the heat. Um, Senator Rockefeller, uh, the chairman of the Commerce Committee, um, which covers um, the uh, Internet in the Senate, which used to be um, the the seat used to be held by Ted Stevens, Mister on the Internet's a set of tubes. But um, Rockefeller was very incensed, and I think Google um, saw saw the writing. Google, excuse me. I think Visa saw the writing on the wall and decided to you know, take what, you know, what, what was a reasonable action um, and to kind of get them out of that, um, that loop. Now, um, but Senator Rockefeller, however, still thinks legislation may be needed. and um, But I think if uh, the industry is responding, um, it's going to be hard for him to push that through. <sighs>
3: Kevin, I think we're seeing this uh, taking place in the social arena uh, a lot more now, uh, seeming to be, um, it, you know, everybody sort of came into the social market with guns blazing and stuff, but I think uh, they're being a little bit more, they're, they're they're using a little bit more of an open eye with some of the marketing opportunities in the social media. What have you seen in that, that medium, uh, Kev?
0: He just dropped off the line, cell phone.
3: Oh, he did, okay. Um, <clears> okay. <throat> Ben, maybe you can, uh, maybe you can uh, chime in on that. I wanted to kind of get the marketer's perspective from Kevin, so we'll ask him that, uh, that question when he comes back. But it uh, seems like the social media sites are actually taking it uh, a little bit more uh, on their own uh, in some of the regulations that they have and some of the ads they're posting.
5: Well, I think you know, basically we're, we're on a path towards you know, one form of regulation, and then um, all of a sudden social media came around and just kind of exploded the paradigm of how um, how we view information and sharing information. And, uh, I, you know, that's what's going on now is, you know, the, the, the companies in the space are trying to figure out what's, what's the best practices. And the FTC and um, even the Commerce Department are trying to figure it out as well. And so I, I think um, when we do see the FTC come out with something, it will specifically address um, social media, in particular, because I think they see this as um, an area, a danger area, that, that somehow there needs to be some um, fences, so to speak, to put up to to kind of you know corral and, and, and keep keep within certain range um, actions in that space.
3: Hey, Kevin. The, I had asked a question before you dropped off last about. Um, it seems as though some of the social media companies are actually uh, uh, sort of looking at the ads that they're putting up, uh, and they're being a little bit tougher on marketers. What are you experiencing, if anything, out there in the marketplace?
2: Yeah, uh, actually, just on part of our meetings was to meet with the approval team for my ads, uh, which is you know a division of MySpace. Uh, Box Interactive, uh, looking at, uh, the creative process, how they're approving ads, So it went from, you know, everybody to get everything approved to them literally putting what's called a roadblock in the way of not getting anything approved. Um, so they are being tougher. They are asking for, um, you know, copyrights if your images, if you're using stock photos, are looking for proof. But I mean, it, this is all just part of the, uh, the, uh, industry now evolving. It's just, it's the way it's going. I mean, the industry's growing up, you know? So uh, that's, we welcome the change.
3: So you're actually being proactive then, uh, going down Absolutely. to California on your own dime with your staff to sort of say, hey, how are we going to do this, and how, how should we do it correctly?
2: That's exactly what we're doing, and I'm walking into a meeting right now, so I'm going to sign off the radio show. Everybody have a good week. Hey, thanks so much,
3: Kevin DeVincenzi,
2: Cliff was- Father. Um, Is
3: actually walking into being proactive, as you just heard. He's actually down in Southern California, going into one of the social media companies to sit down face to face across the table and say, "You know, how can uh, you know how is it that you want us to do it?" and uh, And let's make sure that we understand it. Ben, I think that's uh, you know that proactive moves like that certainly is one way to sort of keep government uh, maybe out of this space a little bit. Um, Uh, I think
5: that's true, John. You know, I think, you know, when government is more likely to step in is when there's a sense both, you know, by the regulators and the market participants that it's the wild, wild west. And um, I think you have here, you have the, you know, the leaders in the space, you know, for example, MySpace, um, you're trying to act responsibly and to get their, you know, their advertisers to do the same. And, um, and so that, that's a good sign. And, you know, social media is very new. And um, in terms of you know even within the short life of the internet, it's very new, and um, but you know they've actually you know, they've they've come under a lot of scrutiny, but they've also responded fairly well um, in, in many cases. For example, you know they, they've worked you know, MySpace and Facebook have worked very closely with state attorney generals to try to deal with issues such as sexual predators um, and, and how to better protect children online. And so you know they're um, they come under heat, but they're they're in this new area that's not defined. You know, sometimes they've able you to know, make mistakes, but you know, I think a lot of times they've acted quite responsibly.
3: Um, also, a little bit here on Affiliate Summit uh, looks like there's they're voting for
5: sin. There, tell us about that part of your blog. Well, the uh, the, the Affiliate uh, Summit um, process. You know, they, um, obviously it's a it's a very popular convention and it keeps getting more popular. And um, they, they select speakers um, by, you know, submit proposals and um, they have a panel that, that selects the speakers. Well, this year, it's kind of like the uh, um, popular vote in the Electoral College. Um, this year, they're actually going to allow, they're allowing people to vote and indicate what, you know, what, what programs they want to see. And then that, that the, the, um, the panel will take into account the vote and, and making their determination. So we have a little, a little bit of that. And um, so I, I jokingly, since I, I submitted a proposal um, on um, the seven deadly, the seven deadly sins of affiliate marketing. And so I, in my newsletter, I jokingly put up a sign that said, "Vote for Sin." And um, so it's the, the sin party, um, we haven't done any polling yet, but uh, <laughs> I, from my, my knowledge of history, I think the sin's quite popular.
3: <laughs> Great talking, of course, with Bennett Kelly from the Internet Law Center, and you can go to the Inbox uh, Inboxed Radio site. That's InboxedRadio.com, and you'll catch archives of uh, previous shows. Also, uh, we do this show uh, live. If you happen to be listening to one of our archives, we do this show live at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard every Wednesday, and that's on the, uh, the uh, West Coast, and then that's at 5 o'clock on the East Coast. And also, uh, you can see what's going to be coming up in our next show and some of the topics we'll be talking about. And, of course, there's a direct link to Bennett's uh, uh, newsletter that you can go and take a look at that and also sign up to be part of it as well. Bennett, hey, uh, enjoy uh, sunny Southern California. Look forward to having
5: you on again. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you again, too. And um, um, thanks for having me on.
3: You bet. Bennett Kelly from Internet Law Center. I am the big fat boo, John Fondy. Sitting in, of course, with Kevin G. Vincenzi, the click father. We'll take it back to the uh, Webmaster Radio Studios, Throw it back to Brasco. As always, you're listening to Inbox Radio. I'm the big fat boo, John Fondy. We'll see you right here next week.